This morning, we're going to be looking at two huge influences in the American legal system, Rome and the Bible. So if you kind of look at how the American legal system got to where it is, these are two major influences today. Now, it's probably true that you didn't come in here thinking a whole bunch about the American legal system, unless maybe two things are true of you. If you have been convicted of a crime, or if you are under investigation for some crime, then maybe you came in here and you're thinking desperately right now about the American legal system. Now, after thinking about this and kind of mulling this over, um, God showed me one more way that you are thinking about the American legal system that I hadn't thought of, and that was when I got home from work Thursday night, um, I walked in, and there's something that they still walk around and deliver called mail. It's a little different than email. And I got something in the mail, and it is like this. It's a summons for jury duty. So, um, so, so there's one more way. If you're convicted, if you're under investigation, or if you might have jury duty, then you're talking about the American legal system. Now, I see that, and I think, okay, God, lesson learned. Next week, I'm going to preach on Hawaii and see if something shows up in my mailbox Thursday night regarding Hawaii. We'll just put that to the test. Let's talk about Tom Brady for a second, because everyone else in the country seems to want to talk about that. Um, in case you don't know, he's the quarterback of the, uh, what's that team again? The Patriots. Ugh. Um, this little thing called the Super Bowl going on today. Think about Tom Brady for a minute. Tom was wrapping up a football season, and he thought he was going into his typical summer, whatever that might look like for a well, very wealthy, successful quarterback, um, until something happened. He was charged with under-inflating footballs, and our favorite hashtag was born, Deflategate, right? And all of a sudden, Tom Brady's summer plans um, changed. Why? Because your priorities change when you are being accused of something, when you're under investigation, right? If that's happening, all of a sudden, you think through things differently. My aim today is to wake you up and just perhaps, maybe, change your priorities this morning. Maybe there are some priorities that just need to be kind of altered back because they've gotten a little bit askew. Maybe you've never heard some of these priorities that are going to be laid out this morning. Preachers are really to teach people how to live, but most importantly by far, preachers are called to teach their congregation how to die and how to be prepared to die well. The Bible says this in Hebrews 9, that it is appointed for man once to die, and after that comes judgment. You see, there's coming a day when the books will be open and you will be standing in front of a judge. And ready or not, you and I will be faced one day with legal realities. Whether they're legal problems or not has yet to be determined. That depends on some things. But legal realities stare at us whether we feel that gaze or not. We're in Romans chapter 3 this morning. And if you want to turn there, you can. We're going to look at some, some language that Paul uses. And he's very much going with a legal motif. He has charges that are leveled. He makes his case and he presents evidence. And then he's going to rest his case. We're kind of coming to the end of three chapters of ruin that we've been talking about for weeks and weeks. 
I want to say a special welcome to the kiddos. If you're new with us, uh, there's a little card in, in your seat back. Love to get to know you. You can kind of fill that out. We also use that for regular attenders to record prayer requests and things they might want to communicate with the staff. But first Sunday of the month, we always keep the kiddos in here with us. And a part of that is to just say, man, family worship is deeply important to us. We see that in the scriptures, and we see that, that fathers, as head of the household, you're the family priest. So it's on you to train up your kids, and part of that is bringing them to worship. So thank you. I mean, just praise God that you're here with your families. I want to say a special welcome to spiritual kiddos as well. There are people new in the faith. That as we have been wading through Romans chapters 1, 2, and 3, it's just been a little bit challenging. And there are people on kind of all different spectrums uh, in, in the middle there. Let me tell you what's happening, kids. Ready? Spiritual kids or physical kids. Um, we are we're going to take a challenging text today, and we're going to invite you into it. We're going to invite you in to, to do something. Here's what I want you to do. Look at the screen. I want you to think hard. And I want you to do your best, okay? This goes for the most astute theologian in the room, by the way. We need to think hard this morning, and we need to just simply do our best. Let me show you a couple of scriptures that I find incredibly encouraging. The first is from 2 Peter chapter 3. He says this about the Apostle Paul who wrote Romans. Ready? He says, Our beloved brother Paul, who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him. Pause. The wisdom Paul wrote here is from God. It was given to him from God. This isn't Paul's uber-complex, uber-genius brain just kind of working things out on paper. God inspires hard texts in the Bible. God inspires hard texts. Verse 16 says this, As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters, there are some things them that are hard to understand. Catch this. This is the Apostle Peter saying of his peer and brother in Christ, the Apostle Paul, he's really hard to understand sometimes. There are things that Paul writes, I just, it's hard to understand. So if you feel like what we're about to read, adults, children, anywhere in between, you're in good company. The Apostle Peter found some things difficult to understand. Here's where, here's where I say do your best. Second Timothy 2.7 says this, Think over Paul writing to a younger pastor. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. We've been singing about the grace of God. You know what grace does in our intellect? It fills in the gaps. We just strive and seek after God and pour over text and go, God, I want to learn what you, what you have for me today. Would you feed me? And grace fills in those gaps. So do your best. Here's what we're doing. Kids, look at me for a minute. I just so happened to wear a shirt. I didn't even think about this until I was sitting there singing. But I want to have our floaties. Anyone ever wear swim floaties when you're learning to swim? Let me see your hands if you've ever worn those. No shame in that. Come on. Get your hands high. You wear it proud. I wore swim floaties, right? Here's what we're doing this morning, okay? We're taking our swim floaties. We're kind of pulling them off. All right? You know why? Because we're going to dive down in the deep end. And if you dive down in the deep end, you can't have the floaties. Right? You'll just look like a guppy trying to get down there, but you won't ever get down there. Um, divers in the room. What's the, what, is this a regulator? Is that a regulator? We're going to take the regulator. That's what scuba divers use to breathe underwater. Right? Floaties off. Regulator's on. We're going deep. That's what I'm saying this morning. Okay? You're getting a little nervous. That's good. We talk a lot about being simple here at Neighborhood Bible Church. And hear me really clearly on this. Um, simple doesn't erase complexity, 
And simple doesn't erase wonder. And we have to realize the one we are singing to when we join together on Sunday mornings is, is unfathomable. He's, he's larger just by infinity than our brains can get around. So, so there is complexity to what we're going to look at this morning. There's, there's a profoundness to it. There's a wonder to it. And even if we step onto the seashore and get knee-deep and waist-deep and chest-deep and get to where we're treading water, we realize there's, there's an ocean more to this. So when we talk about being simple at Neighborhood Bible Church, here's what we mean. We mean being straightforward and helpful, not simplistic. Not taking complex ideas and oversimplifying them in a, in a naive way and think that we've got it packaged up. So as we go into a really hard text this morning, keep those things in mind. Something we've been saying in Romans is this, that to read Romans and really understand it, you see this backdrop behind me of these stars? Okay, those are kind of representing stars for something else we did. Um, there's this backdrop of the Old Testament that, that if you were hearing this, um, as the church of Rome that Paul wrote, that backdrop of the Old Testament would be so ingrained in you, it would be so there that, that it would be imperceptible to you. You would just know things and things would tie in without you even having to think about it. Here's what the careful reader of the New Testament must do. We must keep the Old Testament in mind as we read the New Testament. This is true across the board, but I think particularly true in the book of Romans. What I love about today's passage is it forces you, the moment you begin to study Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 20, you are forced to go look at the Old Testament. What we're going to see is this, this string of Old Testament quotes. In fact, it's the longest string of Old Testament quotes in all of the New Testament. So Paul's reaching back and quoting a bunch from the Old Testament. And so we have to keep the Old Testament in mind. Here's what we're going to see in verse 9. First, there's a charge against all humanity. Next, he lays out evidence from the Old Testament, this long string of quotes from the Old Testament. And finally, he draws some implications in verse 20. And I'll give you the punchline of where he's going. He says, by works of the law, no being will be justified in his sight. That's where he's headed. So watch for this. The charge, the evidence, and the conclusion. Ready to go? Romans chapter 3. Are you there with me? All right. Romans 3, starting at verse 9, says this. What then? Are Jews any better off? Not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. No one understands no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good. Not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not there is no fear of God before their eyes. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. 
There's no fill in the blank, but if you're taking notes, look at the charge this morning. The charge is that every human being is under sin. All Jews and Gentiles, all are under sin. Remember what we've called this series? Colossal truths. That is massive realities that are far-sweeping. Imagine yourself with all the technology, all the, all the Wikipedia that you have, or if you're old school, encyclopedia that you have, and you just tried to get all the knowledge you could, and you tried to write something, imagine this, that would be true for all people, for all of time, through the centuries. And it's going to get tested. And if it's found out 100 years or 700 years from now that that's not true for this segment of people, and that's unequivocally false, then you've been found to be false prophet. And here it is. Paul is writing these sweeping statements that affect all of humanity for all of time. It's been tested through the centuries. And he's writing something that whether you're religious or not, whether you're raised in church or not, whether you've read this book or not, you intuitively know. All humanity has our mouths shut or stopped before God in making justification for ourselves about how well we do at keeping whatever moral law we would impose on ourselves. Look at verse 9 where it says, Under sin. Under sin is a really important phrase to understand, to understand the rest of this passage. It's not just that we sometimes sin or are in the habit of sinning. It's that we're under sin. It's that sin has dominion. That sin is our master, that it dominates us. What Paul's saying about the human race is this. You are a helpless prisoner of sin. That's what it means to be under sin. He's already worked for a while now in the few previous chapters to show that the role of the law is not to save, but to expose it, it, it reveals a deceived heart and mind that we aren't as good as we think that we are. Now, I've done something here. I decided to illustrate this in a, in a particular way. Um, I need a deputy, by the way. Where's, where's Daniel? I need Daniel Dorsey to get up here. Daniel, I saw you walk in this morning. I thought you'd be a good deputy. Come on up. I need your, I need your assistance, buddy. I got to say up front, there's no pay. This is a volunteer role. You good with that? A gentleman's handshake on that, okay? I don't want you to, like... Taking me to court, union, all that nonsense. All right, here's what you're going to do. I see you as a trustworthy, faithful guy. The Dorseys bring donuts for us, you guys. That's a good thing. Yeah. He's, al he's already like the donut deputy. Now he's going to be a deputy in something else. So what I want to do is I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have you sit right here on this little bench. Okay? You sit on the deputy's bench for just a moment. And I'm going to give you a task in a second. So you listen up, and then you'll kind of follow these instructions. But here's what I've done. Um, the, the front of this card, um, I've, I've written a representative statement of chapter 1 in Romans. Romans 1 is this. We are apart from God, and we live how we want, and we sin, and we do it in full exposure of other people, and that's how it is. When he turns his attention, Paul, to chapter 2, here's what he's doing. He's turning to self-righteous religious people. In this very specific case, he's turning to the Jewish people who, remember, are taking pride in how well they follow the rules, but what he shows them is that the law exposes wickedness already in their heart. Okay, So here's what you're going to get to do. Um, have you ever worked with a magic secret pen before? 
Okay, we'll do this first time. That's okay. Here's the way it works. Okay, so this shines that light. Okay, you got it now? Okay, so, um, so here's what you're going to do. You're going you're gonna to let people walk around. You can just kind of stand at the aisles the way they do for offering, okay? But I want to make sure this pen comes back because it's not mine. All right, so that's part of your job. But you let this pass around. You let people read both sides of the pen, okay? And on the front side, here's what you're going to get to do. You're going to get to use your physical capacities, sort of natural revelation. God says in Romans 1 that, look, just his, his attributes are just seen by just opening your eyes, having the capacity to understand language and read, and you get it. But on the back, what you're going to do is this. You're going to see a secret kind of light that is going to expose the hidden deeds of the heart. Okay, so you take that. There's a message on the back. There's a message on the front. Your job is not to help people find the message. You can read it first if you want, since you're the deputy. You want to do that? Okay, watch. I'll show you. I know. So you do that, then I read that. Okay, but you don't tell them. Now you just wander out. Your your job is to make sure that all comes back to me. Okay, so start over here with Micah, and you pass it around. You hand them the paper and the pen, and then watch this. You stand there like at ease, like this, looking tough. All right. You got that? Ben's going to help you. Ben's, my, Ben's the assistant deputy. He'll explain the rest, where I'm clearly not doing a good job of that. Um, I thought that'd be a little simpler. Um, off my game this morning. Galatians 3, listen to this. This is Romans 1, 2, and 3 in one verse. All right? I think it's in your notes. You can look it up later, but Galatians 3, 21 and 22. Sorry, two verses. It says this. Listen to this. For if the law, for if a law had been given that could impart life, then righteousness would certainly have come by the law. That's a big if. Verse 22 says this, but the scriptures declare that the whole world is a prisoner of sin. If there was a law that could impose righteousness, that's what would have been done. God's revealed his righteousness, and the scriptures declare we're all prisoners of sin. Kids, look at me for a minute. Your parents love you immensely. They absolutely love you guys. Do you know that? Sometimes, you little cherubs, that's a fancy word for angels, you're our dearest little angels, but you say and do things that bring up crazy thoughts in the parents absolute craziness. And here's what happens. The parents respond by asking crazy questions of you. Now, I'm a parent, and I do this. And all of your parents at one point were kids, and guess what? Their parents did it to them. Now, I happen to have a mom sitting in this service, and she can testify that she did this to me, okay? When I would do crazy things, and I'd make my mom crazy, you know what she would ask sometimes? What's wrong with you? What is the problem? And you know what my response was? I mean, most of the time, my response was this. I don't know. I mean, I really don't know. Like, I know that if I do this, you're a consistent parent. Thank you for that, Mom. You're a consistent parent. I know if I do this, there's going to be punishment. It's not even that fun. It certainly doesn't outweigh the discomfort that the chore or the punishment or the discipline is going to bring. But I do it anyways. And when you tell me to go and do this, 
My brain says, yes, what a good, noble thing to do. I want to make mom and dad happy, but then I don't do it. What's wrong with me? I genuinely don't know. I don't know what my problem is. This is true in every home I've ever heard of. Now, every single person reaches a point in life where you realize that things are broken. That there are problems that need solutions. And the fix of the problem very much depends on what you think the problem is. So if you think the problem is one thing, you're going to go after it with the right solution. Here's what I mean by this. If you are an economist, let's say a Marxist economist. I didn't think we'd have many Marxist economists here, so I thought I could pick on them safely. If you are, write me an email. I'm sorry. But here's, here's the problem that, that a Marxist economist might see. That the problem is that wealth is not equally being distributed. The solution to this key human problem is what? It's that the state takes control of the resources and makes sure that it gets out equally. Does that make sense? That would be where the solution lies. Let me take another one. A philosopher might say, no, 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 no. The problem is ignorance. And if the solution, if the problem is ignorance, if the fundamental problem in human life is ignorance, then the, then the solution is education, right? It's knowledge. If we can just get knowledge in these simpletons, then we would grow in our knowledge to a place of utter utopia. Let me pick on a third one. Politicians. Politicians might say the problem and so the solution for a politician might be this. If we can just get the right laws passed and then the right laws rightly enforced, we would have the perfect society. Each scenario I just presented exposes a truth that the Bible plainly lays out. Ready for it? Here it is. Your problem when you begin to answer the question, what's wrong with you? You say that to your neighbor, spouse, friend, coworker, whatever. And then you look in the mirror and you go, what's wrong with you, meaning yourself? It's not money. It's not the equal distribution of money. Hear me. It's not more knowledge. It isn't that the politicians haven't given us the right rules. And if we could just get the right rules, then we could follow them and everything would all be straightened out. It's none of that. Right where you're sitting in this very building, eight years ago, something pretty spectacular happened. Uh, we had a mayor by the, time, by, by the name of Chuck Reed at the time, and Chuck Reed reached out to the faith community because Chuck Reed understood something. He understood that politicians have influence, but that the, that the influence stops at some point. So he reached out to the faith community, brought all the church leaders together, and he said this. He said, I want to move the needle. I want to move the ball forward in three de uh, distinctive areas to help San Jose become a better place. And he asked for help in the following three areas. The gang problem in San Jose, the homeless problem in San Jose, and the environmental problem in San Jose. So soon after we met at the City Rotunda, a really cool building downtown, we decided a couple of weeks later, look, why don't we host a brown bag lunch and invite all of the church leaders who actually want to do something rather than just meet with the mayor and kind of say, cool, we met. Let's do something about that. 
So right in this room, right in front, we were all sitting around a table, and we went around and we were thinking through these three different areas. And as I was thinking about this passage this morning, it brought me back to that day. I was sitting somewhere right over here. Think about these three areas that a politician is reaching out to the faith community in. Okay, The first one is, is gang, gang problems. Mayor Chuck Reed is asking for help in the gang problem because this. Who but God can curb violence in the human heart? I mean, does a law do that? Does a law subside and subdue anger and violence? No. If someone's swift to shed blood, lay in wait for someone and shed blood, man, only God can, can change that. He knew that. How about homelessness? You know, homelessness isn't a law problem. It's a human problem, right? Do you understand that you can't legislate compassion? You can try. You can make it illegal to not be compassionate, but is there real compassion growing in your heart? Absolutely not. God does that. How about environmental issues? Environmental issues are really about two things. I don't care where you land on the issue. They are about greed or they are about idolatry. Think about it. Environmental issues are about greed or about idolatry. And God's good creation that's been entrusted to us as stewards is not to be raped repeatedly for greedy quick gain with no consideration. And it's not to be worshipped in idolatry as God being creation. One more because it's pertinent to our local area. And that is this, that more education is not the problem. It's the lust of the heart is, which is the problem. Think about this for a second. Some of you this week, don't raise your hand. Some of you this week will go and eat a Big Mac. Okay? Some of you will go potentially and smoke a cigarette. Think about this, right? It's not that you need more information about if Big Macs are healthy for you, correct? It's not if you wonder, like, I wonder what health benefits there are to ingesting smoke and then blowing it back out. We don't need more data in this area. It's willpower. It's lust of the flesh. There's something about it that meets a need. Sometimes you'll feel this way after eating a Big Mac, right? You just go, why did I do that? And you'll ask the same question your parents ask you. What's wrong with you? I don't know. And you just go back in for a bite. I don't know why I'm putting this in my body. God's word lays it out so you Hear me, humanity's problem is that we're prisoners of sin. That's it. God knows our desperate needs, so he doesn't send a politician. He doesn't send a millionaire. He doesn't send a professor. He sends a liberator. Only in Jesus Christ are the handcuffs of sin broken free. He holds the key to it. Kids, I want to invite you to do something. Check in with your parents on this, but I think this is on safe ground. With full respect, okay? With utter respect. It's all in the tone. It's all in the heart. Let, let, let your mouth say, say this forth with, with full respect. But the next time your parents say, is wrong with you, here's what you could say. Mom, Dad, I'm a sinner. And I have been one since birth. Would you please disciple me? That's the, that's the most theologically accurate and helpful response. What's wrong with you? I'm a sinner. I've been one since birth. I need discipleship. Would you help me out? Okay? 
So there it is. There's your answer next time your mom or dad asks you that. All right, Paul doesn't just level a charge against, um, against these people. He, he gives evidence to support it. Here's the evidence. After three chapters, here's what Paul's going to do. He's going to pull out the big guns on these people. And if you've ever done this, if you've ever been in the, the body scanner at TSA and had people leering at you, if you thought that was an exposing kind of experience, when you read this list that we read in Romans 3, um, it, just, it just kind of lays bare all of ourself. And Paul kind of walks through different body parts, and it's sort of representative of the fact that all of us are affected by sin, that it's pervasive. Now, to kind of get our heads around how the initial hearers might have heard Paul's, Paul's quotations of the Old Testament, you have to go back to context. I had a professor at, at San Jose Christian College. He'd always say this, context is king. Context is king. You want to know what a passage says? Read the rest of the paragraph. You want to know what that's talking about? Read the whole chapter. After that, read the whole book. After that, just keep going. Go for the Old Testament, then the whole Bible. And what you do is find in context what's being talked about. So here's what I want to do for you. I want to lay out the evidence, and I'm going to lay it out by just giving you a little bit of context from the verses that he quoted from. So he's quoting from the Old Testament, but he didn't quote all of it. He took snippets of it. But let me show you what, what he did with this, okay? So the highlighted parts that you're going to see are the parts that are in our text today. This is where he quoted from, okay? So Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have, been, they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge? All the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord. Moving on to verse 13a in our passage from Psalm 5. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. He goes on with Psalm 40, 140, and he says this, Deliver me, O Lord, from evil men. Preserve me from violent men who plan evil things in their heart and stir up wars continually. They make their tongue as sharp as serpents, and under their lips, uh, under their lips is venom of asps. Guard me, O Lord, from the hands of the wicked. Preserve me from violent men who have planned to trip up my feet. He goes on in Psalm 10, verse 14 in our passage. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. His ways prosper at all times. Your judgments are on high, out of his sight. 
As for all his foes, he puffs at them. He says in his heart, I shall not be moved throughout all generations. I shall not meet adversity. His mouth is filled with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue are mischief and iniquity. Are you feeling the weight of this yet? Now he switches to Isaiah. Notice all the legal words here. This is from uh, Romans three fifteen to 17. He says this, No one enters suit justly. No one goes to law honestly. They rely on empty pleas. They speak lies. They conceive mischief and give birth to iniquity. Their works are works of iniquity and deeds of violence are in their hands. Their feet run to evil and they are swift to shed innocent blood. Their thoughts are thoughts of iniquity. Desolation and destruction are in their highways. The way of peace they do not know. And there's no justice in their paths. They have made their roads crooked. No one who treads on them knows peace. And one more, finally from Psalm 36. Transgression speaks to the wicked deep in his heart. There is no fear of God before his eyes. For he flatters himself in his own eyes that his iniquity cannot be found out and hated. The words of his mouth are trouble and deceit. He has ceased to act wisely and do good. He plots trouble while on his bed. He sets himself in a way that is not good. He does not reject evil. Friends, that's a whole lot of wrong that I just read through. I didn't read the whole chapter. For time's sake, I condensed it. This is the backdrop that Paul is quoting from. He's quoting in context. And there's a not-so-subtle message that's being delivered, and here it is. Ready? In the light of Christ, when the pure light of God's righteousness is revealed, you are guilty. You, Jew, countrymen, keepers of the law, you are in the company of the wicked. It's not us and them. This levels before all of us that we are as crooked as any other human being who's ever lived. You are as dead as the best or worst sinner you can possibly imagine. This is his conclusion. Ruin. Do you see why we call this first section of Romans simply ruin? This is what he's driving toward. Verse 19, every mouth is stopped. The whole world is held accountable to God. Built into this word ruin is a question that people ponder through the ages, and here it is. Are you in? And here's Paul's answer. Listen to this. No, and it wasn't even close. You didn't make it. You don't measure up. He just lays us bare. What Paul's doing, catch this, he's lovingly and relentlessly driving people toward their need for the right solution. They'll never go for the right fix until they know what the problem is. Your problem, human being, Gentile partier out there who couldn't give a rip about God, Jew who thinks that you've been earning your way or pleasing God with all that you do with all of your heart. We are all in the same camp. We are enslaved to sin. God's freed us and revealed that to us. 
Remember chapter 1, verse 18, that the wrath of God is being revealed. Two verses before that, the righteousness of God is revealed. And this is what Paul says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Because this gospel, this is the power to save for all who will believe. So here's the truth. Remember that phrase, under sin? We are all, as human beings, under sin or under grace. Think about that. Every person you ever lay eyes on is under sin right now, or they are under grace. The Bible draws this really hard line, and there's two camps of people, and most people you come in contact with don't believe it. One of the great deceptions is this, that somehow my good works, which sometimes my good actions might appease my guilt for a season, but that somehow my good works will outweigh the bad that I've done and the guilt that I feel. Let me show you how utterly silly it is to compare just how far under sin you are in relation to someone else. And to do that, what I want to do is I want to switch from from sinner to swimmer. Are you awake enough to hear that? We're going to switch from sinner for a moment, which you expect to hear about in church, to swimmer. All right? I want you to look around at your neighbors for a second. I want you to assess one thing. I want you to look around and think, am I able to outswim most people that I see in the room? Okay? Now, you're just going to make this judgment. And if you think, there's a real question with a real response. If you think that you can outswim, you know, 80% or more of the people in this room, I want you to put your hand up right now, boldly, confidently. Put your hand up. All right? Man, I feel a swim competition going on. We're going to have a beach trip. All right, put your hand down. Here's what we got. Let's, let's create three groups of people, okay? The first group, when I mentioned outswimming anything, you thought, nope, not me. Give me the floaties. You didn't take the floaties off, did you? I told you to take the floaties off. You're like, uh-uh, these floaties are staying on you. That's camp one, okay? We'll just call that the couch potato camp. I know that, I know that you can be super fit and not know how to swim, but it's just fun to call you couch potatoes. Let's just call camp one the couch potato floaty. We'll call them the floaty group, okay? So there's floaty group. In the middle group, here's what we'll call. We'll call the middle group the self-professed better than most swimmers, Okay? I raise my hand. I think I'm in that. I think I'm in that camp. So we're the self-professed, better than most swimmers. Okay. Here's the third group. The third group are members of the Olympic team for the United States. They have medals. Catch this. Medals to prove that they are better than almost every single swimmer on the planet on that given day. Okay. Here's what happened. We all live in Hawaii. I've got Hawaii on the brain today. We all live in Hawaii. We have transgressed the law in Hawaii to such a degree that they are kicking us out of the country. Do you know where they used to send all the criminals? Australia. All right? So they tell us, you are leaving Hawaii and you must swim to Australia. And all three groups of people leave the beautiful shorelines of Hawaii, which used to be idyllic and fun and happy, and now they're really sad. And they're all swimming, okay? What happens to group number one? They get swallowed up by the sea, like in a few minutes, okay? 
bye-bye, sorry, it's just true. Now, now, group number two is swimming for a good season of time. The water's warm, but it's pretty strong currents. We think we're headed in the right direction towards Australia. But at some point, we tire out, right? Glub, glub, glub. Bye-bye. Now, the national swim team, they're going strong, right? I mean, they're not even, they're not even breaking a sweat quite yet. Let me just see. Like, isn't this silly for them to go, we are so much better than you guys at swimming to Australia. Ha ha! What's that about? How good are the national swimmers at swimming to Australia? They stink at it! They're terrible at swimming to Australia. This is the picture. This is a picture from God's vantage point that we see in the scripture of how far we've fallen short of God's perfect law. And you say, well, I'm not a Christian. I'm not under law. I don't have the Mosaic law. I don't even believe in the Ten Commandments. Fine. There's something called the conscience that you have violated. In fact, we learned this a couple weeks ago. Your own mouth. If we just say what you use to judge other people, hey, slow down! Quit speeding in my neighborhood! Your own mouth, if that's all we held in court, you would be guilty. Week after week and day after day. And the law and the conscience exposes that. It exposes it for what it was. Good timing. Thanks, buddy. If you're a Jew this morning, if you're a Gentile this morning, if you're a religious all-star, a partier, an Olympic swimming medalist, a couch potato, get this. None of you is better or worse off. You're under sin. That's the camp. Unless, right? What did we sing about for four songs before I got up here? Grace. Grace. You're under sin unless you are under grace. I want to close by giving you, showing you how critical this is for you. I just so happen to have Deputy, Deputy Daniel up here. That was kind of fitting because I'm going to quote from Daniel right now. Daniel's a prophet of God. He was given a vision of when God would judge the whole world. It says this in, G in Daniel 7, 9. I watched as the ancient one sat down to judge. Then the court began its session and the books were opened. And a few verses later, here's what it reads. The ancient one judged in favor of his holy people. Daniel 7.22. Now you ought to be asking this question. How can a fair and impartial judge, if everyone's a sinner, we just heard that, how can he possibly be fair by ruling in favor of some group of people and let them off the hook. Another vision helps us with this. It was given centuries later to a guy by the name of John. It's the book of Revelation, the last book in your Bible. And Revelation 20.11 says this, And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. And the dead were 
judged according to what they had done, as recorded in the books. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown into the lake of fire. Do you hear that great and small, every human being is standing before the judge? Two types of books, at least. One with deeds written down, another called the book of life. So back to our question, how can God legally dismiss your case? Answer, because of what God did. He sent his son Jesus, and Jesus paid your fine. Your sin debt is erased, and now legally you can go free. You can be ruled in favor of because of what God did. Are you in? Man, that's the question for every single person in this room. Are you in with God? The way the Bible talks about it is being found in Christ. Baptism is a picture of being born again and, and, and born in Christ and raised to newness of life in Christ. Let's go back to the swimmers for a moment, headed to Australia. Jesus comes by in a lifeboat, and here's what he says. Get in the boat. Anyone who is with me in the boat and remains with me is saved. Anyone who is not with me is doomed. No matter if you're early on your journey, midway, feeling tired, feeling about ready to give up, or feeling strong as a gold medalist, get in the boat. Pop quiz. Does it matter if I, from my swimming position, thinking I'm better than most, say, I believe, Jesus... I believe in that boat. I believe you have the power to save. I accept your invitation. Does this matter? What happens to me? Tell me. Glub, 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 right? What matters is those who climb in the boat. We'll leave this for community group or family discussion time. Here's the theologically most accurate way of saying this. Jesus is the lifeboat. You're not even in the boat. He is the lifeboat. And you get in Christ the way Noah got into an ark. That's the revealed way of salvation. No other way. You trust it, and you prove your trust by action, or you don't. Under sin, under grace. Band, come on up. We've been leaving you each week with something that God does and something we do. Let me say this very quickly. From this passage, we see this, that God illuminates through the law, right, which reveals the hidden secret sins of our heart. Law doesn't write it there. It's already written there. This just exposes it. Law has no power to save. This is not a lifeboat. This just exposes it. So God illuminates. All of us are exposed and every mouth is shut. Secondly, he holds you accountable. God will not change. He won't change what he's revealed. Wrath and righteousness are set and unchanged. If you're taking notes, a couple things that we do. How do we respond to this? One is we agree with God about our sin. Do you know that's all that repentance is? When you confess to God, he's not going, What? You did what? I mean, he knows. He's sovereign. And we just agree with God. God, I see it. I didn't seek you out. My mouth is quick to deceive. 
My feet rush to things that they shouldn't rush to. I agree with what you've shown me. Any whiff of self-justification shows that we still think it's about us and our swimming. The moment we release it all and say, I'm done. I'm done swimming. There's no possible way. means we're starting to get the picture. I close with this. Secondly, we live under grace. Christian, hear me clearly. You are no longer under sin. We're getting to this in Romans 8. There is now, therefore, no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ. Man, that's, that's why you can sing with joyful tears. That's why you can gather with the people of God. That's why we remember around the Lord's table. That's why we give joyfully of our lives and of our energy and of our funds to say, God, we, we live a righteous life because of what you've done for us. We're no longer slaves of sin. You have a freed mouth, freed feet, freed motives, and freed wills. You have been set free from sin and have become slaves of righteousness. Would you close your eyes and bow your heads with me for a minute? Next week's a special service. We're going to get to do some fun things next week. But in two weeks, we get to shift into the redemption portion of Romans. And I can't wait. Right now, in preparation of a song that we've prayerfully and carefully chosen for this moment, I want to just invite you to, as best you can, block out distractions that are around you. Have a moment alone with God right here in this crowded place. And as we sang before, breathing is an act of grace. If you're here this morning, you're unconvinced, you're undecided, you have an invitation that I'm merely the messenger for. It's from Jesus Christ. He says, believe in me. You want to know what God's will is? Here it is. You just believe in me. And if Jesus says he's the way of salvation, you can trust him. You can believe him. He will never change. You are sitting in a room of transformed lives who still struggle along this journey but have been redeemed. Testimony after testimony of us that have been freed from things we could not shake apart from Jesus Christ in our life. Friend, receive the invitation. Don't give lip service. Get in the boat. If you want to talk to me or Ben or someone else around or jot it on a card, please do so. If you've made that decision, you're walking in that. Breathe in God's grace and breathe out praise right now.